0: Please be seated. So uh, the word partiality is sometimes a little difficult to nail down. Uh, It's a little difficult to, to define. The dictionary defines it as unfair bias in favor of one person or thing. That is favoritism. Favoritism. And there's many forms of partiality. Uh, For example, you could favor someone because of their social standing, because of their ethnicity, because of their wealth. And the tricky thing about partiality is that it always isn't easy to recognize in our own hearts, is it? Sometimes we'll say things like, oh, we're we're just playing safe in this arena, you know, or we're just being discerning right now. So partiality, it's kind of a difficult thing to recognize or to name. Now, partiality is different than discernment. Discernment is good. It's wisdom in action. That's what discernment is. So, for example, let's say that you need to hire someone at your work. You know, the right thing to do would be to hire someone who has the right skills, the right education, the right experience. And we would call that a wise decision but if you're hiring someone because of their race or their social standing or how much money they have or don't have, well then, that is what we would call partiality. You see, the difference has to do with human dignity. If you're using someone's ethnicity, their social standing, their IQ, their wealth to determine the dignity of a human being, well then you've stepped outside of the realm of wisdom and into the realm of sinful partiality. So I'm going to use an illustration here, but before I do, I want to make clear I am not making a political statement with this. (laughs) I'm glad there was chuckling in there, because you know that I do not like making political statements. Um, I even hesitated even using this illustration, but I, I I think it helps communicate my point here. Some of you are probably getting like really sweaty palms and nervous about what I'm about to say, but I swear. So anyway, we have right now a Supreme Court nominee that there's hearings going on. Some of you just goes, <gasps> like, oh, no, he, he went there. I have no, I'm not making a statement about the, the, whether or not I approve of this person or the senators who are asking him questions, nothing like that. I'm merely pointing to the process itself. Because if you listen to the questions that the senators are asking of the Supreme Court nominee, almost all of these questions are about partiality. They want to know once you've uh, been, if, if it should be decided for you to join the Supreme Court, then are you gonna be carrying the partiality of your party with you, or are you gonna be taking the law into consideration? Not that that's always at odds. I'm not making a st- political statement here. <laughs> but again, you can, what, the point is that we hate partiality. And if we have a judge over us, whether that's a, a, you know, a Supreme Court judge or you know, in, a, in a local setting, we wanna make sure that we're being treated with fairness. We want to make sure that we're being treated with fairness. That is, unless we know that we have done something wrong. Then, we love partiality. We love favoritism. If we're sitting under a judge and we, we want to be their favorite because we, we kind of want to we be the exception to that rule, don't we? So, um, I, I've been to court before. I've had to sit in that position. Um, my parents would be delighted to know that I'm about to tell you this story. Uh, but one time as a teenager, a, fr- a buddy and I, we had just finished mowing lawns, and we were just flying down the highway, going way too fast. And I'm wearing my, like, sleeveless, you know, shirt, and uh, I smell like grass and gasoline and sweat. I mean, it is, it is awful. This is, this is bad teenage Rick. Um, teenagers in the room, don't, don't do that after you mow the lawn. Uh, also, I had left my wallet at home, uh, not a good idea to do if you're speeding down the, ho- uh, the highway by the way, and sure enough I get pulled over. And I wonder if the officers were particularly mean to me because I looked like this, or I, I smelled like this horrible like hillbilly, you know, fresh out of, out of the fields. And so they, they said that I needed to go to court uh, because I, I didn't have my driver's license on me. And for all they knew, I could have stolen that car, right? So then I had to go and I had to sit under a judge and I had to listen to him. And when I went, what did I do? Did I go in my shabby clothing? No, not at all. I wore a suit. I spoke to him very kindly. Believe it or not, back then I had lots of hair. And so I, you know, I combed my hair. I wanted to be um, presentable to the judge. I wanted to make sure that, that he viewed me as a classy person. I wanted him to know that I'm not a troublemaker, right? I wanted him to look at me with um, favoritism, to be honest. And thankfully, the fine wasn't too bad from that situation. We'll talk more about Rick's speeding days later. <laughs> and maybe you've been in a situation similar to that, when you've been desiring partiality to be shown to you, right? This happens all the time in the customer service industry. You know, maybe you're asking an airline ticketing agent for an upgrade in your seating. Or maybe you're trying to buddy up with the car mechanic, hoping that the bill at the end of the day isn't going to be that big. Or maybe, you know, it's just as simple as being seated at a restaurant, and you want to make sure that the hostess places you in a really fine spot. Now, isn't it interesting that in these situations that we want special treatment, it almost always comes back to money? Like, that's kind of a, a, a unifying variable here. You see, our desire for special treatment has to do with money. Not in all situations, but in many of the situations. It's as if we say to ourselves, they should know that I paid a lot of money for this, and I deserve to be treated with special treatment. I should be placed on the fast track. Well, friends, not only do we like being the recipients of partiality, but sometimes we can play that game too. Sometimes we like showing favoritism to other people. It's a way that makes us seem important, right? And even though it it is a little bit tougher to recognize within ourselves, kind of for reasons that I mentioned earlier. So as I was uh, looking into this passage from James chapter 2, I I found a story from N.T. Wright that I thought was just too good to pass up, too perfect for this. So when he was still an active bishop in the Church of England at a a really large church, uh, an Easter service came by. Or not came by, they were putting on an Easter service. And a high up official uh, from the city came to his church, and the official uh, came in, and you know, Bishop N. T. Wright was, was welcoming people in, and the man leaned forward and said, you know, I, I really like to have a nice seat for this service, and without any hesitation. Or, uh, the church staff whisked this man away. They brought him to the front of the church. They took all the people from the, the beginning of the pew, from the first pew and kind of shuffled them aside and found a different place for them, making room for this official and his entourage. And it wasn't until afterwards that Bishop Wright realized, we just, we just panned out James chapter two. Like that just happened. How could we let this happen? Did we know that we were um, enabling this passage to come true right here? You know, oftentimes, partiality is the default posture of the human heart. It's the default posture of the human heart. It's easy for us just to play this game. Now, James knows this. James, he's writing his letter to, uh, to his congregations that are under his care. And this, these, are, these would be a predominantly poor congregation. There were rich people in the city who were persecuting the poor, and oftentimes, the reason why they were so rich was because of their persecution. They took advantage of their positions of influence to further extract resources and money from the poor, including individuals of this congregation. So in his, in his context, James is calling the members of the church to check their hearts. He says, "...show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ." For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, that is into your congregation, and a poor man in shabby clothing, who smells like grass and gasoline, also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and you say, come, sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you, you stand over there, sit down here at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts?" So it, it might seem like this is something that was a problem just from 2,000 years ago or, or maybe off in England in another country, but this, this kind of thing also happens in today's world. Uh, it was common in the, in the 17th and 18th century in America for churches to actually rent their pews out to their <laughs> congregants. They would rent their pews out to their congregants. This originated as a fundraiser, but then it quickly turned into a status symbol. In fact, Jonathan Edwards, famous preacher in the 18th century, his church had burned down in 1737, and the congregation, as they were trying to decide how to rebuild the church, this issue came up, and Edwards hated this. He saw this as an affront to James chapter 2 specifically, but this was a congregationalist church, and, and the members of the congregation actually outvoted uh, Pastor Edwards and said that, no, we will uh, sell our, our pews and so the way, the, the way that it panned out is that the seating up front was given to the people with the, the most amount of property uh, and all that sort of stuff. And so that's why here at Restoration, uh, we're going to start selling seating. Uh, that's why we have these sections all, <laughs> no one's sitting here right now. Only my wife, She's, she, she gets it. <laughs> we are not doing that. <laughs> Man, church planning 101, this would be a wonderful thing to do, right? No, that's not what I'm saying, obviously. Uh, And then there's some other things in James chapter 2 that he's not saying. This is not a passage that is encouraging us to ignore the rich. That is not what this passage is saying. Having money does not disqualify you from the kingdom of God. Nor is he saying the opposite. He's not saying that the poor inherently will get into the kingdom of God. It's not like being poor is a free ticket into God's kingdom. I had a professor in college who would say, you can be rich now and poor in the next life. You can be poor now and rich in the next life. But also, you can be poor now and poor in the next, or rich now and rich in the next. This isn't a passage that is endorsing us for reverse classism. Now, here's the deal. Here's what this passage is saying. This passage is saying that the way that we treat people, our actions... Reveal what's going on in our heart. And what he is saying here is that you are looking for approval for those who are seemingly important in your city. You're looking for approval from the elites. Now let's rewind for a second and look back at verse 1 there because something just should be jumping out at us. Did you notice there that James says, show no partiality as you hold to the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, Now, what's so weird about that? Well, it's kind of weird that James is using two titles in a row for Jesus. He's stating Jesus' name twice. In both of those instances, he's using the title Lord, that royal term, saying our allegiance is to Christ. Don't you forget that. He is the king of heaven. But it's also strange that that second title he uses is Lord of Glory. Isn't that a beautiful phrase, Christ the Lord of Glory? That phrase is actually only used twice in the entire New Testament. And one of them is here in James. The other is a situation that, not to. this is an aside, right? So, so Paul also uses it in 1 Corinthians in the context of, of Christ on the cross. He is our Lord of glory. So I just love that image, the Lord of glory as Christ is, is being crucified, linking the suffering of Christ with his glory. But anyway, here in James, he's using Lord of glory, For a very intentional reason. He's telling us that Jesus is the source of all glory. All goodness. All truth. All beauty. Has its source in Jesus Christ. And it is Jesus Christ who declares our value. Not the corrupt elite in our lives. Our allegiance is to Christ. The king of heaven. The lord of glory. Now this god of ours has strong opinions about showing partiality. God the Father despises partiality. In Romans 2, Paul says this, There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, to the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. For according to the gospel, God judges the secrets of mankind by Christ Jesus. In other words, God's judgment and blessing will fall on people not according to their social status, but because of the ways in which their faith is lived out. And then in 1 Corinthians, Paul says this, For consider your calling, my dear family. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. And he's saying not many, he's not saying all. So there were some people who were wise, some people who were powerful in this congregation. Not many of you were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. And why is this? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. In other words, our social standing, our wealth, our race, has no bearing on our salvation. God shows no partiality. In Jesus Christ, we see this, we see this fact that God shows no partiality most beautifully and purely in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Jesus ministered to the rich over and over again without partiality. He healed the child of a synagogue ruler. He graciously challenged the sin of tax collectors. And he praised the faith of a Roman centurion. But Jesus also ministered to the poor and the marginalized. He healed the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. He graciously confronted the sin of the Samaritan woman at the well. And he praised the faith of the Syrophoenician woman as well. Jesus is not partial. In fact, if you do a little search on God, search the Bible for the word God and a variation of partiality, there's over, an, over a dozen instances of God's character being put in contrast to partiality. This is a big deal in the Holy Scriptures. In other words, God's ways are not our ways. God despises partiality, and we love it. We love to participate in that game. It's something that we live in. Now why is this? Why is it that God won't let us play favorites with one another? (laughs) I'm sure you have many reasons that you've already thought about as, as you've been listening. One reason I've already said, which is we should be deriving our glory from Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. But there's more reasons as well, and again, maybe you'll think of additional ones. So a second reason why we shouldn't show partiality is because it objectifies human beings. It objectifies human beings because what we are doing in essence is we're not looking at someone because of their inherent worth as an image bearer of God, but we're looking at them as a stepping stone to what we want next, we objectify human beings. Brothers and sisters, we are made in the image of God. And I love what C.S. Lewis says about this. Lewis says that if we were to see one another in the same light that, that God sees us, we would be tempted to fall down and worship one another. The glory that we, dis, that we derive from the Lord is an immense and beautiful and good glory objectifying our fellow brothers and sisters is an affront to the image of God. So James, a third, er, a third reason, when we show partiality, James says that we actually break the entire law. He says this in verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, then you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the law but fails at just one point has become guilty of it all. You see, James is emphasizing the gravity of breaking this sin. You know, it's kind of like a, a, an, a, forgive me, here it is, an, another Apple uh, illustration. But it's kind of like a broken iPhone, right? That has like a broken screen or a broken logic board or something like that. You, know, you break just one component of the phone and the whole thing is is busted. Uh, it, <laughs> unless you just try to continue using... The broken screen and you're cutting your finger on the glass or whatever. But loving your neighbor is kind of like that critical component of God's law. It might seem inconsequential at times, but breaking it breaks the whole thing. Now, last fourth, James is saying that when we show partiality, that we are missing out. We're missing out on God's goodness. He says, the poor in your congregation are rich in faith, James says. So we should be asking ourselves, How has the suffering that the poor have experienced, how has that caused greater reliance on God? And what would happen if those were the stories that we were to celebrate in our congregation rather than stories of innovation and of barn building? You see, if we forsake the poor, then we are forsaking stories of God's grace, right? So as pastor of this church, Uh, One of my obligations, one of the things that I vowed to do is to preach the word of God in a way that convicts you and me of our sin, right? As means to plunge us further into the grace and the peace and the forgiveness offered to us by our, our Lord. And so I don't know, maybe you've been sitting here this morning and you've been realizing that, yeah, I love playing the game of partiality. I love being on the receiving end of that. Or maybe you've been thinking, yeah, I'm kind of prone to showing partiality to others. That's that's a habit of mine. As I've been wrestling with this passage all week, the Lord has been bringing things to my mind. I'm like, "Oh, man, yeah, I I did do that, didn't I?" So I, I hope that, that that sits with us. But also as pastor, I am called to encourage the church to sh- to remind us of God's love. To build up the congregation. And you know, sure, there's always room for us to grow, especially with this issue, especially with this issue. But when I think of showing uh, respect to all uh, forms of of humans, that sounds weird. What I meant to say is (laughs) frog people, you know, whatever. That's not what I mean. When I think about respecting the human dignity within one another, particularly along the lines of social status I am so thankful for this place I am so thankful for for the culture and what is going on here at restoration and I think what we have is a gift we have PhDs who are talking with people who are still working on their education we have folks in retail hanging out with engineers who are hanging out with artists who are hanging out with teachers we have people who love what they do for work, grabbing coffee with folks who would rather be doing something else. We have stay-at-home moms swapping stories with working mothers. We have folks who work with their hands, who are befriending folks who have de- or have desk jobs. You see, we're not perfect, but I do think that what we're experiencing here is a foretaste of heaven. And isn't this fun? Like, I love it. I hear from you all all the time, like, I just met so-and-so. This is such a, like, he's such an interesting person, don't you think? I'm like, yes. And everyone at Restoration is like that. Like, there's so many fun stories that we have here. We're coming from so many different backgrounds. And so as pastor, I want to commend you for not showing partiality with one another. My prayer is that we would be people not bound by what we've accomplished or by who our parents are, but rather that we would be a people who are bound by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory amen but friends we must stay alert for this temptation of showing partiality because friends that part that temptation will never leave us I'm sorry to say that temptation will always be there it's one that's just way too close to the human heart and I'll just kind of bring this a little bit more home as it pertains to us as a church plant you know, if you flip over to page 18 in your bulletins and look at the bottom, you'll see our, our financial statement there. Now, there's good news with our financial statement. This is not turning into a business meeting. Uh, those of you who love business meetings, just cool your burners. This is not, <laughs> we're not talking about that. But you'll notice that we, uh, that little asterisk at the bottom of page 18, we are meeting our budget thanks to the generosity of external donors. Some of you are like, I don't like business meetings. What are you talking about? Um, but just from the giving of our congregation, we're not quite there yet. Now, we're doing an awesome job, and I'm so thankful for those of you who are giving sacrificially to this church. But because we're not quite at our budget, it could be tempting for us to show partiality to the newcomers who come through our doors, right? It would be very tempting for us to in our, design our outreach programs, to, only outreach, to do outreach with those who are in wealthy environments, right? rather than those who are maybe in environments, uh, shabby environments, right? So, beloved of God, let us be diligent in resisting the temptation to show partiality, especially as it pertains to the matter of wealth. Remembering that we are partakers of God's glory, and that we are sinners in in need of God's grace. And so may we be filled with his spirit and empowered to love those around us.